everybody. Welcome back to Courtside Reveals and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We are back on with my co-host tonight and Hall of Famer to talk all things Miami Open. Steve Flink, welcome back. How you doing? I'm doing great, David. Glad to be back with you again. And I'm glad that you have survived your second vaccine rather well so far. Yeah, so far, so good. So we got a few hours to go, but yeah, so far, so good. Hey, before we get into Miami, um, I want to tell the listeners, Steve and I have a very special treat coming up for all of you um, a week from Monday, which will be April 12th, Monday evening, uh, April 12th. One of the most funny and enjoyable conversations I've had talking uh, talking tennis. So special guest, Steve, myself, and, and someone you, we, we know you're all going to enjoy. So remember, a week from Monday. Uh, Monday evening, April 12th. So make sure to tune in for that. Okay, Miami. Um, let's start from the beginning because there was something that was truly eye-opening to everybody at the end, at, at the very beginning of this tournament. And that was Vasek Pospisil. And his, like, from my point of view, totally out of character um, tirade uh, regarding Andrea Gaudenzi. As far as I know, Vasek has always seemed very friendly, very personable. Him and Bethany did that. Bethany Maddox-Sands did that really great uh, Tennis United series during uh, during COVID, during the pause. And um, just a great, funny guy. And he just absolutely lost it. There was something obviously going on behind the scenes. Um, Andrea Gaudenzi, again, the new ATP chairman, by all accounts, he seems to be doing some good things. That was just a little crazy. What did what, you think when you saw that, Steve? Well, David, reading between the lines, I, I, I get the feeling that perhaps Gaudenzi was a little defensive. He's, he, they're both good guys. There's no doubt about that. But I have the feeling he might have been a bit defensive that he's, because as you correctly uh, uh, summed up, Pospisilla, this is not his normal way of conducting himself. You know, he's a very congenial guy, very competitive on the court for sure. But he clearly was feeling some kind of angst over this and, and frustration. And obviously it all has to do with starting him being aligned with Djokovic and trying, wanting to, the hoping to sort of start a new player union. I understand from Gaudenzi's standpoint, you step into that job and you're the head of the ATP and you don't want to think about any of these other alternatives or options, but something obviously went very wrong in the meeting. And I hope, I hope that it was that it will just blow over and they can move on and, and find a way to to reestablish a dialogue. Yeah, agree, agree, hundred percent. So stay tuned on how that all goes going going forward. Um, Want to mention another player that to me recently um, I'm a I'm a huge fan of, but recently he has had very trouble. Uh, yeah, he has had a lot of trouble winning big matches against his peers, and that's Corinne Hatchinoff and. Um, I looked at who he beat when he won the 2018 Paris Masters when he went on that run, and he beat Sasha Zverev in the quarters, Dominique Team in the semis, and, and Novak Djokovic in the final. So he has it in him to beat the top guys. But since that run, um, and I remember him playing uh, playing Rafa in the 2018 U.S. Open third round, such a physical battle. I was so impressed with with Hatchinoff. I'm like, this guy is 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 going to be tough. He's going to be a tough out. He has struggled against his peers. Um, you think it's something specific or just time and, and he'll get over the hump? I'm a, I, I, I fully understand your concerns, David, and those are totally valid points because he did lead us to believe back at that Paris Indoor in 18. That was a string of spectacular wins, perhaps well-timed, caught them at the right time. You know, Djokovic had come off a very long 
uh, emotional three set win or final set tiebreak win over Federer the day before. And he was a little fragile physically. You could look at some of these circumstances and say, okay, that's why it happened. But like you, I had, I had high hopes for him and, but I still do. Because if you look at some of these losses, like for instance, this week against Sinner, a great match. He wins the first set. It all sort of hinged on the second set tiebreak. Sinner won the tiebreak and eventually won in three. But Hatchinoff competed well to the end. Earlier in the year, he had another tight loss to Sinner. He also had a loss to Berrettini at the Australian, six, six, and six. Yeah. So when I look at the scores of his matches, and many of which I have seen, I'm not discouraged, David. I think we may see him sort of re. Uh, reassert himself and, and start making a move toward the top 10 instead of lingering just outside the top 20 where he is now. Uh, because I, I don't see a guy that is, is throwing the talent in these losses. I see someone who's fighting hard, who has a lot of talent. Round of 16 at the French last year and lost to Djokovic. Pretty good effort. And then one of these days, I think we'll see him start registering more, some more big wins because I think he's too good not to. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and for me, it was never a question of competing. It was just he keeps playing his peers and he he just comes up a tiny, yeah, right, a tiny true. bit short. Right. Oh, that's absolutely right. But I think some of these matches are going to start going his way, too. And I didn't think that he lost it with Sinner this week. Sinner just beat him. And, and, and that's another reason I'm not discouraged on, on his behalf. I think we'll see him turn the corner again. Turning the corner is a uh, youngster that if it's a stock right now, we're all buyers of, and that is Sebastian Corda because he is just continuing to uh, have such a steep upward climb beats Fabio Fanini beats top 10 Diego Schwartzman reaching the quarters um, in Diego. He served for the match at five, four got broken, regrouped, broke Diego back and then served it out cleanly. Um, he got to the finals in Delray. He did great again, uh, uh, great again here in Miami. Um, cool, calm, and collective. Yeah, I, I know you're a huge fan. What, what do you What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I I loved what we saw from him at the start of the year in the final in Delray, and then to see him put it together as well as he did this past week. And I think now he sounds different to me now. Now it's like, okay, I know I can play with these top guys. And why wouldn't he say that? He played quite well in his loss to Rublev and they could have won either set. It was really a tight two setter and close tie break to end it. So I think he, yeah, he's just so natural, David. He's got so much good all around ability and, and, and he's got the right genes from his father. Who's, I mean, look at that. These sisters are great pro golfers. I just, and his temperament. What I love about him is his temperament. His dad was a bit more on edge. He was a little more mercurial and you didn't quite know what you're going to get from his dad on a given day. And sometimes he could lose a little bit emotionally. I think he'd be the first to admit that mental toughness was maybe not his strength, but boy, Sebastian has got it. And boy, does he ever have it in abundance. So I'm very, I'm very excited about where he's headed the rest of this year. And if you're a parent of, of an athlete of, of one kid or, or several kids, try to give Peter, Peter Corder and his wife a call because, my God, whatever they're doing, they're doing something right. Now, if Sebastian uh, loves Florida, he would be number two on the list because the other guy who loves Florida is the winner of this tournament, and that's Hubert Herkosh. I mean, my God, I, I think they – I tallied them up. They both um, – Sebastian had didn't have a – by in Delray. So I think they both had four wins in Delray. Hergosh beat court in the final there. Hergosh had what six wins because he had a bye in Miami. 
Um, Court had four wins. So those are the top two. I mean, they should play every single tournament in Florida. Um, <laughs> beat Pass in the quarters where really he had no business winning that match. I mean, Pass was in total control of that. Up a set, up 2-0. Um, got through that. Today, um, today was, was clean. He got a little tight. It was 7-6-4-0. He got tight, which again, Masters 1000, uh, Masters 1000 title, biggest title of his career. He's, he could get a little tight. Um, a good stat by our good friend, Pete Holterman said, Hercosh, the second player to reach Delray and Miami Open in the same season at that time in 2001, it was Jan Michael Gamble. It's called the Erickson Open at that time. But, uh, fun stat there. I mean, this guy, he loves Florida, huh? <laughs> He does, and he he did such a great job because he got out of a third set tiebreak against Rounich early in the tournament. That was one of the keys. He kept going, and 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 then he said, by the time and you mentioned, of course, the match against Stefanos was one of the keys yeah, because it was not only a set and two love, but a fifteen forty for a second break. So he almost was out of there, and he survived. And then by the time he got to Rublev in the semis, he believed. He kind of admitted after the final today, he wasn't looking ahead. On the other hand, he, he, he did sort of sense the possibility of winning the tournament by then. Beat Rue Levin straight, and then, as you said today, up a set in 4-11, then held on. However, he, he did a great job to salvage the first set, David, because uh, Sinner served for it at 6-5. Sinner had come back from 3-love down, and then he eventually broke, served for the set at 6-5. If Sinner holds there, it might have been a completely different match, but... But uh, that's where the turnaround came for the Polish player. And he really, what, what a job he did from there. And then held his nerve nicely after one of his breaks got away in the second set and managed to close it out in straight. Terrific okay. effort. I mean, he definitely earned it because his draw was absolutely brutal. I mean, this was not something where uh, <laughs> he just played a bunch of lower, you know, he got, he got lucky and played a, a bunch of guys lower ranked than him. He had a but brutal Dave, draw. Very briefly about today, what I loved about today was the first set, it was all about his defense, and he let Sinner sort of self-destruct, and he really defended beautifully. And then in the second set, especially on his way to four love, he sort of opened up his wings a bit, got much more aggressive. I, I, I like the versatility and flexibility in his game, that he can win more than one way and, and adapt his game and then start hitting more freely when he has a lead. So it would be very interesting to see now that he moves into the top 20, uh, what he's going to be able to do with this, but this is an enormous confidence boost for him to win a Masters 1000. Huge, and yeah, that first set I know what you're talking about. He had a number of times he was stretched out wide on his backhand side. He'd do open stance backhands, and he'd get right. it back with some pace, and more importantly, deep. So several times, yeah. very good. Yeah, time. he frustrated him. He frustrated him with not only the open stance backhands, but also wide on the forehand. Same deal, deep down the middle, extend the point prolong the rally. And that definitely was frustrating for Sinner on a day when the wind was swirling and where he didn't have his best stuff. So he started overhitting, he started pressing, but all credit uh, to his opponent for really provoking that from Sinner. For sure. For sure. Um, let's switch it over to the ladies side. And I, I feel like everybody got cheated in, in the women's final between Bianca and and Ash Barty, because I know everybody, including you and I were very, very excited to see both those uh, people match up. I want to talk about Bianca a little bit because um, it's just kind of a funny story to me. Uh, I went to the university of Kansas and in 2018, the fall of 2018, Bianca played in a 25 K in Lawrence and she, she lost 
in the quarters. Now, who she lost to was also a very good player is Katie McNally. But just think about that. November of 2018, she's playing in a 25K on a college campus. And then 10 months later, she had that run in New York, beating Serena Williams in the final, taking the U.S. Open title. I mean, that, well, that course, lady, crazy. Oh, uh, it was crazy. In between, of course, she took that big step by beating Kerber to win out in Indian Wells. Indian Wells. Then she then Canada that summer, yep. she, she was playing Serena in the final. Serena had to retire. Bianca handled it beautifully by kind of consoling a very distraught Serena uh, after the match ended so abruptly in the first set. So you, you really have to admire. And then now she disappeared after winning the Open. I mean, we barely she couldn't play one injury after another. Then to survive the, the, these taxing matches one after another this week and Ridiculous. keep going. Especially impressive in beating Muguruza, but also uh, a Sakari where Sakari served for the match at 6-5 in the third and Bianca survived. But I thought Ash Barty, uh, David, was just first rate. Forget the injury of Bianca. I think Ash was playing too well, regardless of whether Bianca came out there too, too depleted and then hurt herself at a set and two love down and eventually retired at four love down. Ash Barty really peaked for that match and her variety confounded Bianca who gave her great credit for it after the match. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on Ash. Uh, just a couple other um, tidbits on Bianca. I mean, like you said, going from playing a 25 K in Lawrence, Kansas, then winning Indian Wells, Canada, and then the U S open. I mean, it, it's just, a, it, it's a crazy rise. Um, the other match I wanted to talk about with Bianca was, was Sarah um, Sorbis Tormo, which, you know, I would say the two matches previously with Amanda and Nisimova and Muguruza was like the highlight real type matches. The one against Tormo, I mean, that was just gut check time. That is not a fun opponent to play. That's one of those opponents. I think I put on Twitter, like that's one of those, you walk off the court and say, and if you lose, you're like, I never want to play this game again. And right. Absolutely right. And I, I, poor Bianca, you had to feel for her having to hit so many balls above her shoulders on the backhand side. You could feel the pain every time she made contact with the ball. Uh, That's, that's as uncomfortable an opponent as you can possibly play. And yet that was another example of Bianca's mental toughness, the way she found a way through that. And it was exasperating for her at times, yet she, she got the job done. She plays, she has a plan A, she has a plan B, she has a plan C, and not many players can do that. May, may, many players may want to do that, but not everybody can do that. And, and she's well, definitely just, one of those. David, sorry to interrupt. Let's just hope she, she can now uh, play consistently with relatively few injuries, because if that's the case, we're going to see her right back contending again for majors and clearly, you know, establishing a place for herself right up at the top there alongside the likes of Ash Barty and, and Naomi Osaka. Yeah. And, and again, to, to kind of reiterate what you said about Ash, definitely. I mean, she showed why she's the world number one. I mean, she's, and I mean, those two are so versatile too. And it's just, it was fun to watch. And I was really excited to watch it on Saturday. And I just felt the tennis, the tennis world got cheated a little bit. The outcome may have been the same. I'm not saying it would be different, but it would have been fun to watch, you know, a, a healthy Ash Barty versus a healthy Bianca Andreescu. But no I have a feeling, I have a feeling we will be seeing those two matchups in the future, hopefully. Oh, we will. And I, I was sort of hoping that Bianca would find it within herself to finish those last couple of games. Only she can know what she was feeling, the pain she had at that point. I think it was just too bad for the fans. On the other hand, when it was over, uh, Andreescu was couldn't have been more sporting and gracious. So. 
that was terrific. Rather than go on about her physical woes, she was much more interested in telling you how good Ash Barty is. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um, uh, you know, we, it's during March Madness. We're in the final four weekend when we're recording this. This is going to be released Monday night championship game. I want to tie a couple thing, couple quick tidbits in with college basketball, how it's tied into tennis. You know, a, a big time coach retired this past week, and that's North Carolina uh, head basketball coach Roy Williams. I mean, he was what, 15 years? Uh, I mean, he had 33 years. I think it was 15 at KU and 18 at North Carolina. Um, him and his wife have, have given gifts to that school several times. And Will Blumberg, who's one of the top collegiate players in the country, plays at North Carolina. He tweeted a, a photo of him and Coach Williams. Coach Williams and his wife gave a gift that basically allowed all fifth-year athletes, fifth-year seniors, to play on scholarship again when COVID made that pause and NCAA allowed fifth year. So um, shout out Roy Williams. I mean, he, it's just not him and his basketball program that he cares about that that was, that was huge. And, and I know you're a big New York uh, Yankee fan as my father is. And to end his press conference, he, he gave the famous Lou Gehrig quote. I feel like the, uh, the luckiest person on earth. So shout out coach Roy Williams. Absolutely. Another funny tidbit um, that I just um, found out, shout out Jason King. who's was a big uh, college basketball analyst and he's a Baylor alum. He said, Scott Drew and Mark few, those guys are playing when this is released, it will be Monday night, the championship game. They have been pickleball partners in the bubble in Indianapolis. So I don't know if they're going to still be uh, pickleball partners Saturday night, Sunday night, and, and Monday, maybe afternoon. I doubt Monday afternoon, but just a funny tidbit there. So I wanted to tie March Madness into to our tennis uh, content. And then with that, again, um, Steve Flink, Pete Sampras, Greatness Revisited. Go get the book. Fantastic book. I love it. Everybody who's read it loved it. And last but not least, special treat coming next week, a week from Monday, April 12th, uh, will be released in the evening. Steve, myself, and you're not going to want to miss this third guest. It, it, it was so fun. So tune into that. Steve, as always, thanks again, man. This is so much fun to, to do this with you. Yeah, David, thanks a lot for having me back on again. And I look forward to our next sessions. Always, always enjoyable. On to the clay we go. On to the clay we go, right? Absolutely. See you soon. Okay, good, David.